0: Okay, good, well, um, I've, really, I've really enjoyed this, uh, this event, I must say, and uh, even more so than I was anticipating after realising what fantastic um, bunch of papers we had, um, just a set of people uh, who were coming to this event, and it's been, uh, been really exceptional, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of those um, uh, conferences which we'll, uh, I'll certainly remember for uh, a very long time. And um, I sort of look back at my opening remarks. Um, it seems like a long time ago, it was just yesterday, <laughs> yesterday morning. And um, uh, those of you there will recall that towards the end of that session, I, I sort of raised some issues about how to study to especially you know, the, 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 the issues of studying neurosociety. And um, one one issue that arose was that I raised was. Uh, Um, How does one um, talk across um, disciplinary uh, boundaries? And um, in a way, I think that's been something which we've... Oh, really? Do I have to... Can people not hear? Oh, I don't want to record it. I just said all the good things. Uh, Yeah, start again. So So it's great to have you all (laughs) here. So the issue uh, for me in the beginning day was how are we going to talk across disciplinary boundaries, and um, you know it looked like um, quite a significant problem given the, the extraordinary range of different backgrounds, experiences, disciplines that people have come from. Um, on the other hand, um, as it uh, uh, was also noted, um, the brain is an extraordinary figure for pulling people together. I mean, there, there is that um, established STS adage that technology. ...pulls people together. Uh, well, the brain does it in spades, it seems to me. And um, so the brain becomes an interesting boundary object. And I think in many ways... Uh, ...in many ways has succeeded, at least in the sense of... ...the starting of the dialogue. Um, the beginning of uh, discussions between people... ...from quite different kinds of backgrounds... ...and different sorts of um, proclivities and interests and so on. Um, One of the second things I I, uh, raised at the beginning there was, well, what sort of key sensibilities, what key social science sensibilities, what key (coughs) social science analytic perspectives um, do we need to tackle this problem uh, about um, the nature of neurosociety and uh, trying to account for the rise to preeminence of the brain? and so on, what sort of attitudes and perspectives are needed here. And um, I proposed, um, because it's the the, the angle I'm particularly interested in, um, that we need uh, a critical analytic perspective which draws heavily on ethnographic sensibilities. That is, that one should be... One knows one needs to engage with the brain and with brain technologies, but in the manner of good ethnographers, you're not going to be taken in by that, Um, you're also going to try and be distant from it. Um, But it's both, that you're going to be involved in being with the brain and its technologies, and you're going to be distant from it. And, you know, the very best ethnography for me is recording the tension of going back and forth constantly between the phenomenon that you're studying and your distance um, from the phenomenon. Now, um, I think this is quite a tricky thing to do, and it's been interesting in the sort of various conversations during the couple of days um, where sometimes I speak to um, colleagues, especially new colleagues, and it's very clear that um, they would share a similar particular kind of sceptical ethnographic attitude to my own. And at other times where it's deeply unclear whether the person I'm talking to is talking to me on the same wavelength. So that's really interesting. And uh, so we're talking about the brain. And I think I spoke to somebody yesterday Forgive me, I don't remember quite who, who said, um, it's very interesting in management that in the study of leadership, um, there's great potential for neuroscience. And I couldn't figure out whether this person was being ironic or not. I could not figure out if that person's being ironic. And I think that, that's, that's sort of really interesting. You know, am I overworking the need for ironic distance because I sort of was rather hoping this person was speaking, uh, speaking data, as Garfinkel used to say. He was reporting what the natives say in management studies about the fantastic prospects um, of um, uh, neuro leadership and so on. But it, but it wasn't clear, and I thought, that, thought that's a very interesting um, issue for the communication between us as we go forward. Um, Another theme which I noticed and thought was um, very interesting over the couple of days was, um, especially came out in the session on the brain-society connections and um, uh, a lot of concern about the role of the social. And uh, in particular, I think um, my good friend Professor Rizdivo is an a, 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 a enthusiastic advocate of the place of the social and, and sociology in our study of the brain. And one of the questions which came up in, in one of those sessions was um, what's, uh, the suggestion was what seems to be interesting about this conflux and discussions in, uh, between disciplines is that the notion of the social is itself being modified. Um, and in its conjunction with um, the brain, the idea of the social is, going, is undergoing some kind of mutation um, itself. And so it's not possible um, simply to bring in uh, one's own precepts and standardised vocabularies from sociology to explain this particular phenomenon. The interesting inverse of that, of course, is you know whether there is some mutation of the neuro, in its conjunction with um, uh, uh, and its exposure to uh, the work of this kind of body of people in its in, in its it, it, its. Uh, study by ethnographers anthropologists and um, sociologists and so on you know is there the same sort of uh, move to no longer being able to just sit tight on established versions of what the neuro and cognition um, really means is, that, is there that sort of um, mutual changing of the two things another strong theme i've got um, a couple more of these um, another strong theme it seems to me was um, uh, we, we witness the, uh, the rise of this new phenomenon, the brain, the neuro, and yet there seem to be some very familiar moves. Um, there is hype, um, there is its representation in, the context, in, in a particular uh, local political context, it takes on particular forms, um, it, um, it, 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 it encourages particular kinds of adherents and supporters, it has critics and so on, and that sort of gives rise to a, a, a kind of deja vu feeling. So question which came up several times that I noticed was, is there anything new? Is there anything new about the uh, onset um, of the brain and, and neurothinking as compared to any other... Uh, important, uh, sort of uh, prominent figures like uh, like the genome, um, like other kinds of technologies, like uh, virtual technologies, and so on. Is it? Th- are we got very similar dynamics here? Is there anything new to learn? Well, it seems to me that um, there's a sort of subsidiary question to ask about that. Yes, it's important to ask: Is there anything new? But um, what if there is nothing new? <coughs> it still seems to me that it's. Um, a very good idea. It's probably our responsibility to, um, uh, to work through similar arguments that have been worked through in relation to past technologies, in relation to these new technologies. So it doesn't mean, uh, just because it's a new phenomenon, that everyone will remember the old arguments. We need to... And there's work to be done. The arguments don't just exist and apply themselves um, automatically. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned... Um, if we concluded at least uh, tentatively that actually is not much new when it comes to um, the neuro um, and the brain. And um, the final point I'll just make uh, quickly, um, but I did already make it for those of you in the last session here, um, was um, how striking it is to me that although there's a lot of talk and we discuss this a lot about how uh, we live in particularly reflexive times, What I find very striking is the absence of reflexivity among... um, I don't know about... among neuroscientists, to be quite honest, but certainly among those people who are trying to apply um, uh, (coughs) neuro-thinking to particular disciplines and so on. So um, I bet um, there's very little attempt within the field of neuro-leadership to self-inspect claims to be leaders. Um, In the last session in here... We had this extraordinary piece of video that Clement showed us. Um, who was that guy? You say, oh, I've forgotten his name already. Dean. Sorry? Dean. Nobody remembers. Brilliant. Dean. Dean, Dean, Dean somebody. Dean. Dean. Okay. So Dean, yeah. Dean somebody, whose name we can't remember, was trying to sell neuromarketing in this video. He signally failed. Right. <laughs> and the question was, did he bother to run the video through his neuromarketing analysis, to see whether brains responded favorably to the video or not. Um, Because, uh, and uh, as I also mentioned before, um, we can find very, very few instances of that kind of uh, reflexivity um, occurring in this field, and I don't know whether that's um, significant in some way um, or not. So that's where I wanted to stop, and um, I'd like Paul to um, take over and uh, give us some more thoughts. And you get this machine, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's up, yeah. The recording
1: device. If, is, is it okay if I do simply to emphasise that we're not having a, uh, we're not trying to push this last keynote through your heads uh, that I sit here. Um, Okay, it's really a, a couple, yeah, it's partly, we didn't coordinate, <laughs> and although our brains are sometimes very well attuned, sometimes they're clearly not. So we're partly overlapping, but uh, I also thought it was a, a very yeah, a great conference, and I'm very happy to have been here, um, learned a lot. Um, I think that a, a, con- a theme running through the whole conference in all sorts of forms, more or less constant theme was the connection between how we define what we call the neuro turn in various ways, uh, how we actually study it um, and the sensibilities that we bring uh, to that study it, it relates to the point Steve has also made so um, and the sensibilities I mean especially with respect to the political and economic agendas that are inevitably embedded in research. Uh, uh, programs and funding schemes. I mean, that's simply inevitable. Um, So it's not a matter that this is in itself problematic, but it's a matter of how are we articulating and putting on the table also uh, the connection between that social or economic agenda and the more specific research questions that the program tries to uh, answer. Uh, My colleague Anne Beaulieu, um, who was one of the earlier ethnographers of neuroscience, um, thinks that um, and she she writes this in a forthcoming essay, so I'm now quoting her Um, so she's still a bit present because she would like to have been here Um, she thinks that we don't see one turn, one overall development, but a set of complicated shifts and changes in a rather complex and contradictory way and I think a lot of Presentations at this conference have actually emphasized it, so that, so that's basically what we're seeing. Uh, there is a lot of evidence actually gathered in this conference for viewing the different kind of uh, developments in that way. Um, and this is in a way also um, plausible. Neither the neurosciences nor the human sciences are unified in any way, so it would be strange if one turn would engulf both of them um, so you would expect a lot of patchwork here. And that, of course, does raise the question, what is the role of uh, the more general critique uh, or the more general uh, expectations, which are still um, articulated and also were presented here in various forms, both in keynotes and in individual papers at the conference. And I think that uh, those general... Debates about the promise and the warning, uh, the critique, uh, are relevant to uh, if we are able, um, after this conference, to get on, to to develop further a kind of close connection between very detailed and uh, carefully uh, orchestrated interactions between neuroscience and social sciences, on the one hand, um, and uh, the particular research questions uh, that these projects then try to address, and the the link that those projects will make with um, overall uh, concerns. So, for example, the research agenda. What are we actually pursuing in the Neurosocial Sciences? or in the critique of the neurosocial I think that the critique of the neurosocial sciences are part of the neurosocial sciences, so I, I take them now for a moment together. Uh, who is actually coming up with the research questions? Where does the, the framework come from? Uh, um, uh, can we, for example, develop research agendas starting from the plight of people in Africa as a starting point, rather than selling the next drug uh, in a Western European market? Is it possible to diversify the kind of research agendas in different neuroscience and neuro-social science projects? Second point, um, a couple of presenters pointed to it, the balance of power. Um, If uh, neuro and social are marrying, it's not an innocent affair, Um, and we should not be naive about it. Uh, Those fields that have big machines... And that are able to produce lots of data have inevitably more power uh, in terms of high prestigious journals in which they can publish, more funds they can attract, uh, more um, also prestige maybe in newspapers. And um, this um, being aware of the fact that it is a marriage in some ways with uh, sometimes quite unbalanced. Um, a set of relationships uh, does not mean that you shouldn't enter the marriage, I think, but it does mean that it is very important to um, yeah to develop also a feminist critique of the balance of power in those projects and see how this can be addressed. Um, and I'm sure that this will also uh, enable uh, coalitions with neuroscientists on that point. So that that's an interesting question also. Um, and the third, of course, is stereotyping. To what extent will brain scans, black box, um, racial and gender stereotyping? Um, this is a, a, a thing on in, you know, in the popular discourse, clearly. Um, but a lot of researchers or people that are producing uh, brain scans may not be always very sensi- sensible, sensitive to the kind of stereotypes that come across so recently at Harvard. Scholar has criticized neuroscience because of gender stereotyping and actually not being critical about what the male and the female is supposed to refer to. Um, and this might actually be a quite productive agenda to see also how this links up to the technologies that produce the different uh, uh, imaging, uh, the different representations. Okay, so basically this adds up to the question, that's my third point, neuro Neurosocial Science? Um, uh, and in that respect, I had a feeling that the conference um, also displayed a certain disjoint between the neuroscience as experienced by neuroscientists and neurosocial scientists, where it's very often a very insecure business, No big claims, but lots of small experiments with ambiguous results, very data-driven, still very unclear what it means when a particular region lights up. And the neuro-social science that's portrayed in the public discourse with big big claims um, and uh, also uh, quite megalomaniac uh, dreams about controlling people. Um, and uh, ...or liberating people in ways that are simply not very realistic. Um, the problem here is that on the one hand these are two different discourses. One is a set of not unified scholarly practices with lots of coalitions around it. And the second is a, a template for the traditional um, um, expectations and fears that are um, uh, already present and simply projected upon this template of the the new kind of neurosocial science. And even uh, the the idea of a crisis in sociology, I think sociology has always had a crisis. It's one of the elements of sociology to be in crisis. Um, and the problem here is that the, the general discourse and the practice and the experience of neuroscientists is somehow different and disjoint, disconnected, but at the same time, it's too easy to say that one is only a representation in the popular press and the other is a real practice, because there are interesting connections, and it is fed by neuroscience practices. And one feeds back upon the other. And it's even the case, I think, that research agendas are sometimes driven by these popular discourses about the field itself. So you have a complicated feedback loop. And I think here is also an interesting uh, research agenda, perhaps, for STS people and people in science communication to see how this kind of complex feedback loop can also be uh, both studied and fed back into um, and try to, to, to disrupt it a bit, I guess. Okay, so um, this of course means, but this is an SDS obvious thing, but we are not all from STS, that um, in the balance between neuro and the social, I think it's a, a trick to try to make uh, the, 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 level playing, uh, the the playing field level. So social scientists will not take for granted the machines, and uh, the the representing technology, neither the colors nor the algorithms. Uh, On the other hand, there is no reason why social science should not open up its own methodology for interrogation by other disciplines. So it might be an interesting mutual interrogation, and if Nicholas meant that with also trying to set up a productive interaction, then I think... uh, I would certainly agree with that, uh, but I would like to say social scientists can demand that it is uh, a give and take, and not only following uh, the machine with the idea that they, uh, that's somehow harder than than the social science methodology. Um, okay, two last points, otherwise I'm going on too long already. Uh, one is a very simple question, thanks to the pub yesterday, where are the military? Um, they have You know, they're absent here, but my feeling would be that, you know, the military is very interested in the cyborg, so they probably are also very interested in the neuroturn. It would make sense to see whether we can set up research programs that uh, will be funded, um, well, maybe not by the military, but certainly will take the military as an object of research. And my last point, I would really like to commend um, the organizers of the conference for having paid attention to the matter of valorization of research. Uh, if, I, if I understand it correctly, in Britain, impact is going to be the big thing in the research assessment exercises. And very often in our field, in STS and in social science in general, we have very good materials for public discourse, but very often we keep too silent. So I was um, very happy that uh, this conference is, I think, the first that the concept of the black box, um, I hope with prior consent by Bruno Latour, um, has been turned into a market device. Um, and I think that's really great. And Andrew Ballmer, uh, you know, has all, deserves all the credits for it. Um, but I am, however, a bit disturbed by two things. Um, one is uh, the audience was laughing quite a lot during the presentation by Andrew. Um, and I was wondering, you know, will this, this discourage him? Um, I'm you know, a young entrepreneur. Um, first presentation. Um, I checked it in WikiLeaks, but there's still no laughing center in the brain. So there must be, you know, it must have come across as somehow, uh, you know, not really serious. And I, I'm, I'm getting more worried about it because there doesn't seem to be a real business plan. Um, My impression is that this was a one-time performance. And that actually Andrew doesn't have any plans for rolling out the black box. Um, Now I'm not trying to suggest that he should produce the black box as a material device. But I think there is an enormous demand for the black box as a performance at conferences where neurosciences and neurosocial sciences are presented. Ah, right, that's what I mean. So I would suggest not only that you will do it more often, but also that you hire uh, people, because the demand will be bigger than you can provide. Um, I would think about product differentiation, um, like not only about the lie detector, but about all the other products in the neurosciences. Well, that's a good thing, too. Maybe you can also make a version for clinical clowns in medical hospitals and neurosurgery (laughs) departments. And I would suggest that the participants of the Pontificate Pontificate University, together with their Islamic colleagues, will produce a version that's suitable for church services.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: If Andrew picks up this idea, I would be very happy with only a few percent of the proceeds, of course. (laughs) Um, But... To be more serious, even if he doesn't agree with that or is not so generous, um, I think think a real issue is here how can we collectively, not only individually but also collectively, try to have a bigger impact of the discussions we're having here on both the scientific and the public debate about the neuro and the social So then I'm thinking about the perspectives that are entertained by the scientists themselves, so this calls for presentations and their conferences. I'm thinking about the ethics and politics of uh, neuro-social science from funding agencies, you know, what are they trying to push, companies there, and and last thing, constructive technology assessment and the politics of technology, because the devices will probably also start to live a life of their own. Uh, separate from from neurosocial science, so all these you know small they will become small, cheap, and uh, and uh, beautiful. Um, so probably they will be yeah, transformed into a sex toy in Japan and into gaming stuff on the W I I and all sorts of things. That will start to lead a life of its own, and I think our field is able to produce knowledge that can be used in prospective technology assessment and see how this will influence interactions. Well, I hope these were useful points for the discussion, and I really would like to thank you again because I've learned a lot during the presentation.